Hey there, I'm Sarah Duty, host of the Career Strategy Podcast. Many professionals are seeking more impact, flexibility, growth, and let's face it, getting paid what they're worth. But how do you unlock this in your career? It starts with strategy. I'm taking you behind the scenes of what's working for my career coaching clients. You'll hear strategies and actionable, yet sometimes against the grain, advice for how you can be the CEO of your career and stop dreading Mondays. Ready to level up your career? Let's get after it. So I have no agenda today. This is really your chance to ask questions. And I am going to get to as many as I can in about the next 30, 35 minutes or so. Shannon wants to know, what is the number one thing you would do while trying to find a job in this very saturated and competitive job market? Okay, there are a lot of things. I'm going to give you three. We may have a few more. The first thing is, You want to do everything you can to be visible to the companies you're applying to or where you want to work and people who work at those companies. And we really want to focus on LinkedIn here. And the reason that we want to focus on LinkedIn is, let's face it, a lot of recruiters and hiring managers use LinkedIn to find candidates and to spread the word about roles that they are hiring for. So a couple of the first things you should do. You should follow the companies you want to work at or that you've applied at, and you should follow people who work at those companies. That's going to help increase the chances that A, you see people post that they're actually hiring, But B, this goes back to visibility. It's going to help surface posts by those people who work at the companies and the companies themselves. It's going to help surface their posts so that you can comment and, quote, engage with those posts. And this engagement is really important because that helps you become more visible. And this is not just about becoming visible in the comments of someone's posts. This also feeds into the algorithm that is used inside LinkedIn Recruiter. So LinkedIn Recruiter is the tool that recruiters and hiring managers use to go find potential candidates, right? And that algorithm, one of the things that factors into that algorithm is whether or not you as a person on LinkedIn are engaged. So if you apply for a job at Home Depot, let's imagine three people, no, two people, apply for jobs at Home Depot. And one of those people does not follow Home Depot, is not following anyone who works at Home Depot, has never commented on any posts by anyone that works at Home Depot, Versus the other person who has done the opposite, who has followed the company, followed people, and has commented and, quote, engaged with people at that company, LinkedIn Recruiter will prioritize the person who was more engaged than the other person. I know that was really long. I didn't mean for that to be so long. But to your point, 
It's very saturated. And a lot of candidates think, oh, I'm just going to go redesign my resume for the 20th time. I'm going to go play the numbers game, apply, 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 hope something works out. I'm going to just cold email the same cold email to everyone. That's not going to work. So being engaged and doing these things that we know the algorithm takes into account, that's one thing you can do. We'll probably get into more things, but that's kind of one thing that a lot of people don't know about. That would be the one thing. And then the other thing, even if you don't know what companies you want to want to apply to and you're not applying to companies yet, this notion of being engaged and posting on LinkedIn is still valuable. Now, this does not mean you have to be posting, you know, 800 word little posts, little essays every single day and spending hours in Canva or whatever, making graphics to post on LinkedIn like you're, you know, a full-time content creator. That's not what we're talking about. You want to be posting regularly to try and be visible or top of mind to people that you're connected to who might see a job that is a fit for you and then because you're posting regularly, they're going to remember you and maybe reach out and say, oh, Rebecca, you know, the other day I was in this online community or I received an email and I read about this role and I thought of you. If you want people to think of you like that, you can't just sit at your home office or in a coffee shop and not talk to anyone, right? So this idea of visibility also helps other people help you by potentially referring you to job opportunities. Okay, Daniel wants to know, landing your first UX gig in this economy. We already covered a bunch of stuff with Shannon's question. The next tip I would give you, there's two. Tip number one is to be very focused on building relationships. I don't like to use the word networking because a lot of people, as soon as you say networking, they think, ugh, I hate networking. That's so inauthentic or sleazy or, you know, people just don't like it. Or they think, oh, I'm an introvert. I don't know how to network, et cetera. So I don't call it networking. Also, a lot of people think that networking means size of network or number of connections, right? I don't want you to focus on reaching 500 connections or 5,000 connections or something on LinkedIn. I want you to focus on the quality of the relationships that you have with people. Because think of it like this. What's the point in having 10,000 connections on LinkedIn if no one really knows anything about you, right? If you had 10,000 connections and you sent an email out to all of those people, if you could, and no one replied, then that means those 10,000 connections are useless. Let's imagine you lose your job and you were able to message those 10,000 people and say, hey guys, I lost my job. Here's the type of job I'm looking for with these criteria. Here's my skills, etc. You know, does anyone know of anything? If zero people reply, that means you have 10,000 connections, but no one really knows you. So instead, 
we want to focus on the quality of those relationships. So that's kind of tip number one. And I say relationships because according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics, 85% of jobs are found and filled through relationships and word of mouth. That's why this is so important. So relationships, relationships, relationships. Now, that does not mean that you're just going to cold message or cold DM people on LinkedIn or elsewhere, things such as, hey, Sarah, can we set up a coffee chat so I can pick your brain? Hey, Sarah, can you review my resume? Can you review my portfolio? Can you do this? Can you do that? Like relationships doesn't mean blast people with cold messages. Relationships means building relationships over time with people. So it might start out as you are commenting on posts that people are making on LinkedIn or in communities you're involved in, et cetera. Then maybe one day you realize, you know what, I wanna take this conversation a little bit deeper. So you move that conversation from just commenting on their posts, for example, to an actual email or DM, you know, you kind of like take it private. That's how relationships are built over time. It's not just sending cold emails to people. So relationships. The other thing I would say is that to really stand out and get your first job, you really, really, really have to assess the quality of your career materials. And when I say career materials, I think of it like marketing materials for a product, you know, in the same way that products have advertisements and other materials, websites and things that help people learn about them, et cetera, you need that stuff too. And in your career, your career materials or marketing materials are your resume, your LinkedIn profile, your portfolio, if you choose to have one, and then if you have time, maybe you have a website. It could just be a one-page website. And I would also put cover letters into that category as well because they are part of the first impression that people have about you. So you need to make sure that those materials really stand out because what's the point of having an awesome portfolio if your resume and your LinkedIn are kind of half done, right? Because you don't know which one people will look at first. And because of that, you need to make sure that all of them are in tip-top shape because it could make or break whether or not you get invited to an interview. And, you know, we don't have time to go into the details of how to make a resume, how to make a portfolio, how to optimize your LinkedIn, like all of the details of that. The one tip I will give you is that most people are only scratching the surface of their skills and experience. And they do that because whether it's on their LinkedIn profile, their resume, their cover letter, their portfolio, most people are only just saying what they did. I was responsible for user research. I was responsible for facilitating workshop workshops. I was responsible for X, Y, Z, right? That just sounds like a boring old job description. That doesn't really provide evidence or receipts of what you actually did. So instead of just saying, I was responsible for X, Y, Z, 
you wanna turn that into a little story of what you actually did. So if you were responsible for research, tell us a couple of examples of that. You did a qualitative or quantitative research study because you wanted to learn this specific thing or study this specific area. And then tell us more about that research study. How many people were involved? What did you learn? You could even mention different software that was involved. That's going to set you apart because I have seen enough resumes and LinkedIn's and portfolios and everything to tell you that a lot of people just focus on what they did and they don't say how they did it, why they did it, what happened, what did they learn, what software and skills did they put into practice, etc. Ooh, okay. And Kita asked, what are the most essential skills for independent consultants to bridge and display their interview process as they seek out a full-time role? Okay. I think what you're saying is you've been working as like a UX consultant for a while and you want to switch and work at a company. And what skills and experience can you highlight in your interviews to help yourself to set yourself apart from other candidates? I think that's what you're saying. Okay. Given this is all the information I know about you, I think that thinking of the skills that UX or independent consultants have, you potentially have some superpowers that other people may not. And I don't know what those are, but I'm going to give you kind of a brainstorm list. So maybe you have a lot of experience doing project or product management. Maybe you have a lot of experience in different industries. Maybe as an independent consultant, you were working on projects in healthcare and fintech and travel and, or maybe you focus just on one of those industries. So think about the types of projects and companies you worked with as an independent consultant. And also think about what kind of non-X and product development skills and superpowers did you develop during your time as an independent consultant? Because those could be very awesome differentiators for you. You know, a lot of times UX people are good at the craft of UX, but when it comes to understanding business or analytics or different industries, they might not have that experience that you do. Okay, Ramsey says, as a UX researcher and strategist, you're worried that UX research will be replaced by AI. And you're looking at gaining more hands-on AI skills to get ahead of the trends and build your value across industry to be kind of a, cons a strategic consultant. Do I have any thoughts on AI and UX, as well as the thoughts and best resources to learn and be proficient in AI? So. How do I say this strategically? I don't think research is going to be replaced by AI, like full stop. I don't think you need to worry that your job is going to go away. I think that, and I don't know specifically what type of research you do, et cetera, but the notion that someday AI is going to be able to write the perfect survey and analyze those results and 
even before people fill in the survey, identify the right people to do the survey. Like there's just so many things that require so much context beyond just the writing of survey questions. Like, could we use AI to help rewrite or rephrase survey questions? Sure. But there's so much more that goes into a research study, and I'm just sticking with survey, but there's so much that goes into a research study than just like the analysis of the answers or the writing of the questions, right? And I really don't think you need to be worried about that. The one thing I would caution you is, you know, even throughout my career, software and trendy things have come and gone. And I remember very early in my career, Flash was a big thing, right? And everyone was like, you have to learn Flash. Flash is the future, blah, 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 blah. And I remember I took a course in Flash, but A, the instructor was really boring. And B, I didn't really like the class. Like, could I have done the class? Sure. But I remember thinking this time I'm spending coming to this class every Tuesday or whatever it was, I could be using this this time to learn other things. And at the time, I was really interested in information architecture and wireframes and things like that. And I thought, I think my time is better spent going a little deeper in information architecture and wireframes and all that, rather than spreading myself too thin, trying to learn Flash. And no one uses Flash today. I mean, it's kind of dead. That's an example of trends way back early in my career that everyone thought was like, if you don't learn Flash, you are dead in your career. And like, not true. So is it good to be familiar with AI? Sure. Do I think you should spend all your time trying to become an expert in it? It's kind of like, what is the trade-off you're making How could you otherwise be spending that time you might put into learning AI when it comes to research? Are there other skills, potentially more timeless skills that you could be building? I don't know, but something to think about. Adi Lee, oh, this is back to the portfolio, suggested having a story-driven case study that focuses on how you solved business needs without any experience. I'd also hyper-focus on the soft skills you have Exactly. It's not just about, I redesigned this web page or this user flow, et cetera. It's like, why did this need to happen? How did this project come to be? Was there a specific problem in the business that prompted this, you know, to become a really important thing? So it's all about providing that context and not just about, hey, look at this screenshot of my Figma with 80 screens, like that tells me nothing. I'd rather you show me the details of two really important user flows in that product than a zoomed out version of your Figma that shows me all these teeny tiny thumbnails of like 80 or 90 screens that I cannot even decipher. Yes, it's all about storytelling for sure. All right, Amanda wants to know, and this question comes up all the time, How can I share a case study for a project that has been flagged as confidential in my portfolio? Okay, we need more context about what does flagged as confidential mean. I would encourage you to 
go back to that company, that manager, that client, whatever it is, and start a conversation to find out what parts of the project could you include? Or if you blurred out any information that would give away the company, could you include it then? Could you include just specific screens? Does it, would it be okay to talk about this in an interview because you're bringing a PDF, you know, on your laptop or you're sharing your screen over Zoom and showing this versus it is a case study that is on a website that anyone in the world could find, right? There's a big difference between putting a case study on the internet that anyone can find versus having permission to show something over screen share during an interview. So this whole narrative and topic of NDAs, private projects, can I include it, can I not? I don't necessarily think it's always a one size fits all. I think we need to consider the context and not initially just assume that we can't ever, ever show this under any circumstances. Now, obviously, I'm not a lawyer. So, you know, if you're hyper worried, go consult an attorney. But I, I, I think a lot of you are not thinking about, oh, yeah, there might be a difference between I'm not allowed to put this on a website that Google and all the search engines would be searching and crawling and serving up in search results versus I could maybe show it, pull up a PDF in an interview. So that is something to think about, Amanda. And let me know if that answers your question. All right. Daryl said, you've recently graduated from Google's certification. You're running in circles, trying to find an internship or mentor to gain experience. You're quickly realizing how saturated the market is. You don't have three years of experience. And, oh, I guess there's no real question here. <laughs> okay, there's no real question here, but let's see. I think everything that I said really applies to you. And I would think about for the projects that you have worked on that are currently in your portfolio, did your portfolio make the mistake of just showing deliverables without proper context, like only showing what you did, not showing why, how, for whom, what happened, what did you learn, et cetera. One thing, if if you are earlier in your career and attended a UX boot camp or a graduate or undergraduate degree or something like that, a lot of you try and do shortcuts and you try and use the exact same presentation that you used in your class for your portfolio. But the user of your portfolio is not the same the user of the case study that you handed in to your professor or teacher or something like that, right? And one example here is a lot of times in the presentations you make for your instructor or professor or whomever, a lot of times they are demonstrating your knowledge of UX concepts and principles and sometimes sound like textbooks, right? We did research. Research is done to help us understand the users, blah, blah, blah. And it sounds like definitions of like, what is research? What is an affinity map? Why do we make personas, for example? 
that might be okay for your teacher or your professor, but the portfolio or case study that you're using in a job interview, it's almost like insulting to have that portfolio or case study just be a bunch of definitions. Like the person reading the hiring manager or recruiter doesn't need you to explain like the definition of a certain research method or what an affinity map is. And I'm kind of like being sarcastic about this because I see it so often. And so I think you're doing this because you're just trying to reuse what you already made. But the mistake and the reframe you have to think about is the user of your portfolio when you're applying to jobs is not the same as when you are handing it in to your professor, instructor, whatever. So keep that in mind for sure. Okay, let's see. Aparna said, how does the interview process vary between individual contributor versus manager levels? Does the process of portfolio review and case study relatively remain the same? It could vary. It will vary from company to company. So I can't give you, you know, an exact answer because it depends, right? Like Amazon may have a different interview process than Spot than some small startup, for example. I think if you are trying to move from being an individual contributor to a manager, you need to think about what are the skills that those recruiters and hiring managers are looking for. And you will know that because it's going to say it in the job description. So if you're going to an interview for a manager level role like next week, go back and read the job description a couple of times, print it out and maybe literally highlight things and then look at your resume, your portfolio, talking points that you might bring up in an interview and make sure that your resume portfolio and those talking points are serving as receipts of the things that they're looking for in that job description. I think when you're going from individual contributor to manager, obviously you want to have examples of projects and people and teams and things that you have managed. I think it's it's less about your ability to, you know, move things around on the screen and make wireframes or designs or write the survey, right? And it's more about showing that deeper strategy, obviously the management side of things. And I think more understanding and grasp of like the bigger picture of the business. And so if you're able to tie what you did back to different goals or objectives or constraints from different teams and departments, et cetera, that will make you come across as a more mature, experienced, thoughtful, in your case, researcher. Aparna, let's see here. Lorraine, also not new to UX, has been in the field for nine years. Okay, Lorraine, you said you're nine years into your career as a UX designer. You've never had challenges getting work, and you've been able to pick and choose projects. You've noticed things are quiet. It's harder to get work. And the market is so saturated with the boot camp generation. Any feedback you can give to standing out with the experience and talent that you have to offer? So this kind of goes back to the beginning of our Q&A today, visibility. 
you need to be thinking about, Lorraine, where are the potential clients? Where do your potential clients hang out? And how can you and what can you do to stay more visible and top of mind to them? So they might hang out in different online communities. They might follow you on LinkedIn. You might be connected to them on LinkedIn. But that's no good if you're not posting on LinkedIn, right? So think about how you could become more visible. It also goes back to relationships. This might be where you kind of have to put on your salesperson hat and start kind of sending out emails to people, checking in, not necessarily like, hey, do you have any projects that you need me to work on? But think back to, you know, the last time you spoke with Jane or whomever it is and try and use these emails as an opportunity to follow up and start a conversation and kind of treat them like research projects. Like you're trying to figure out what is new with this person? What challenges might they be facing in their business right now? How could I help them, right? Because if you just message someone and say like, hey, I'm available for UX work. Let me know if you if you have any work for me. They're probably gonna think, mm, I don't really know. But if you get them talking and get them telling you about what's going on and how business is and you know this is going well and that's going not well, you can start to hone in and start to propose potential things that you could work on. Now that I said all that, I don't know if you're trying to get a full-time job or you're looking for freelance work. It sounded like freelance. Regardless though, whether you're looking for a full-time job, part-time job, freelance jobs, etc., visibility and relationships are so, so crucial. And it's crucial to be prioritizing being visible and maintaining relationships, not just when you are in the middle of trying to find clients or when you're in the middle of a job search. You want to be doing this kind of all the time so that you don't kind of have to play catch up if, let's say, you know, you were unfortunately laid off next week or something. Oh, Cristobal is interviewing tomorrow. Okay, let's try and help you out. You are recently switching to user experience. What's the best way to demonstrate I have what it takes to start working on the company, although you've never worked in UX? Okay, well, the interview's tomorrow. I think the thing that you need to think about is assuming, you know, you have an interview, so you must have an okay resume, LinkedIn, and maybe a portfolio because you got an interview. I think you need to be thinking about what transferable skills from your previous career can you bring to this future career in UX? So I would try and think about, you know, connecting the dots between what you did before and what you are potentially going to do in this job. That will also help you come across as a more thoughtful, mature, professional. Because if someone kind of has taken the time to reflect and think about, oh, well, I was previously a teacher for eight years. And, you know, as a teacher, I really develop XYZ skills. And more I've learned and done UX, I realize those skills are really integral to you know, successfully collaborating with stakeholders in other departments and whatever. So I would do some brainstorming about that. 
The other thing I would say about portfolios is a lot of times in portfolios, I see a slide that is like the double diamond process. And it's just like random double diamond diagram from the internet or like converge, diverge, or design, test, iterate, this, that, you know, discover, all these very cliche things. That doesn't tell me anything. Instead, try and replace those words with exactly what you did. So if you have, you know, some almost like timeline diagram, let's say, to represent the steps or phases of this project you worked on, and let's say the first one was discover. I don't want to see the word discover on that diagram. I want to know, well, what did you do to do the discovery? If it was research, replace the word discover with qualitative interviews and survey to 500 people or something. That actually tells me what you did for the discovery and I don't have to wait for 10 slides into your presentation to learn that you did that research. It's just another example of like these cookie cutter, boot campy, sea of sameness portfolios that we see all the time. All right, I think that is all. So we have to go. Thank you all for your awesome questions. Have a great rest of your day and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Career Strategy Podcast. Make sure to follow me, Sarah Duty, on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or LinkedIn. If anything in today's episode resonated with you, I'd love to hear about it. Tag me on social media or send me a DM. And lastly, if you found this episode helpful, I'd really appreciate it if you could share it with a friend or give us a quick rating on Spotify or review on Apple Podcasts. Catch you later.